Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 107 of the Take Food Camp podcast. The title of today's interview is Under Her Skin, an interview with Melanie Huber. My name is Richard Johansson. And I'm Matt Sepatello. So, Matt, this is another one of those stories where we have a young child at 12 years old getting bitten by a tick and then getting sick a second time when she was 25. Rich, what I found most interesting about Melanie is that her Lyme disease always presented on her skin first. When she was 12, she had Bell's palsy, which was an indicator of her Lyme disease. And then again, when she was 25, when she got sick again, she presented with horrible skin issues. So Matt, Melanie really had a very interesting journey that I think our folks are going to love to hear about. So without further ado, Melanie Huber and Under Her Skin. Hey, Melanie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We're really blessed to have you, Mel, and we really appreciate you joining our podcast and sharing your journey with our listeners. So, Mel, can you tell us where you are right now? So, right now, I traveled up from Miami, where I reside, and I'm in a three-story log cabin in the mountains in Georgia. And what are you doing in Georgia? So, I decided I kind of took a jump on things, and I figured, you know, I work in events. There's not going to be working for some time. I figured, you know, it'd be a nice time to get out and to some solitude and they decided to head up uh, to uh, to Georgia because of the whole quarantine thing. So me and my boyfriend have been up here for almost two months. So now it's important for you folks who are suffering from Lyme disease to make sure that you make intentional decisions. And did you make the intentional decision to leave Miami and go to Georgia so that you could be safer? I did. I, I wanted to basically separate myself. I had, didn't know the seriousness of it. I, I already was kind of getting work, you know, where events were being canceled. So I figured, you know, he worked from his computer. You know, we knew his buddy, luckily, you know, has allowed us to stay at his cabin out here and figured, you know, let's just, let's, we packed everything up. We, we, we planned it out and uh, we just headed up here and just figured we'd, we'd make the best of it out here, which has been really nice. Well, that's wonderful to hear. So now, Mel, I'd like to walk back to your journey about a year ago. I understand that you were living in Miami prior to this COVID uh, crisis, and you were working uh, in the event planning arena. Is that correct? Yes. How were you feeling um, about a year ago? A year ago, I mean, wow, I'm not really good with the whole number gauge of, of your health, whether you're one to 10, but man, it did feel like I was just beneath that. I, I... For about a good six months to a year, I felt really like just I was barely charging along. And then for about a month before, I, I guess maybe 11 months ago, um, or sorry, a year and a month where it was like before I decided to go back to Maryland, I was feeling awful. I mean, I, I, I didn't even know where to connect it, but I just couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't, you know bathe myself I couldn't you know do dishes laundry anything and it, my skin actually was a telltale sign of my uh, health being just out the window and it got to the point where I mean I looked like I had holes in my face like no joke I could put my pinky in my cheek and I, I was just sending videos to my dad and I was just like well I don't know what's going on but like I, I can't function like this so that this time a year ago I was in Maryland. I came back up from Miami and I was staying with my family so they could help me figure out what was going on. So now let's talk about your childhood um, because it's our understanding that you've been dealing with Lyme disease for a good portion of your life. Do you recall uh, during your childhood when you were bitten by a tick? I 
actually was outdoors a lot as a kid. I mean, I have one of five siblings, and uh, we we were just always an outdoor bunch. And I do recall finding ticks on me multiple times growing up. And we would just pick them off, and we, we didn't even have any worry in the world. Just take it off. You'd check each other's hair before we'd come back in. I mean, all of us did a little assembly line. And I just remember one day, uh, I didn't actually see the tick, but I had the bullseye or that, that um, the rash from it. And my mom took me to the doctor and um, we didn't actually send anything in because I guess the tick wasn't there or maybe my mom, I, I don't recall because I was just young, but I do remember going to the doctor and them um, just examining it, but I didn't actually physically see that tick, but I'd seen plenty on me before. So Mel, let's, let's set this scene for a moment. So how old were you when you had the event that resulted in the bullseye rash that caused your parents to take you to the doctor? I was 12 years old. Okay. Now, where were you living at that time? I was living in uh, Laytonville, Maryland. It was just a, a small city outside of Bethesda or Rockville, Maryland, kind of near D.C. And what did you know about ticks at that time? You said that you had contact with ticks. You and your siblings were outdoorsy kinds of kids. You were getting ticks on you and having ticks removed. Other than knowing that ticks existed and knowing that you should check to remove them, do you know anything else about ticks and what ultimate uh, illnesses you could suffer as a consequence of being bitten by a tick? Oh, I had no idea. I mean, my parents were very, I feel like they're very knowledgeable and they, and they educated us on a lot. I mean, I feel like if they knew, they would have definitely told us. And it was just kind of one of those things like you just, I just knew as a kid, you know, check for ticks that we wore, tucked our pants and our socks. We were always hiking. We wear a hat. Like we knew all the tricks, but I didn't know really why we were having this preventative care, you know? So I just knew that, that they were bad and I had no idea that they led to anything like this, like at all. So now you're 12 years old. Um, you show the signs of a bullseye rash and uh, you, you get brought to the doctor. Who found the rash and what do you remember about the rash before going to the doctor? I just remember, I, I don't remember much, but I just remember it being a little swollen and red and I didn't think that much of it. I think my mom did, did remind me later that I did have some sort of fever or temperature. And then we went to the doctor and she assumed that I think the doctor had informed my mom about it potentially being Lyme. Again, we didn't get a full diagnosis, but it was just like, hey, we think this is Lyme. So why don't you just take these medications just in case it is? And then, you know, we'll go from there. So now after you had your bullseye rash and you went to the doctor and the doctor prescribed your medications, uh, did you get better? Um. I think I, what I thought I was getting better. I mean, the, the rash went away. Um, you know, I didn't have a fever anymore. But ironically enough, uh, that's when I first started getting into the modeling and acting industry. And I'd been training for years, uh, probably a year and a half, for this giant uh, uh, modeling and talent, you know, competition in New York. I mean, 8,000 agents came from all over the world. I had been rehearsing commercials and, uh, you know, just auditioning uh, just to practice up until that point. And what happened, I think it was maybe a few weeks later, uh, I had been on still on the medication. I remember taking it. I was up in New York, and uh, one of the side effects they thought was from the medication, which I now believe is from actual Lyme, um, was Bell's palsy. My entire half of my face went completely numb. And I still have some, some uh, I don't think my face ever recovered to be evenly or asymmetrical. 
Um, of course, no one's face is exactly symmetrical, but I just couldn't tell that when I was there for five days, um, supposedly the medicine was supposed to help with that, but the side effects came after I had started. So uh, I, they tried to say that the medicine was contributing to Bell's palsy, but I mean, imagine you going and training for a year, something that was like my entire passion for my kid. I mean, I wanted to sing, dance, act, everything since I was very young and go up and do this uh, competition. And my half of my face, literally my eye, uh, just I, I couldn't even blink it. My nose, I couldn't flare. I couldn't smile with the other side of my mouth. So it was lopsided. And imagine that that's like your dream coming out there. That was the the main side effect, and uh, it went away. Unfortunately, right after I left the competition, the Bell's palsy went away. I had finished the medication, so at that point, it seemed like okay, this is the end of it. I'm getting better now. Now, how do you believe your Lyme disease that you suffered when you were 12 years old impact your life moving forward? Um, you you did share with us now that you had a bad experience that had an impact on a, um, a modeling opportunity or a competition that you went to. What other ways did your Lyme disease um, develop and how did it negatively impact your, your health as you were growing up? Well, at the time, I didn't think it was Lyme disease, but I'll tell you just from what, me knowing this now and looking back that I can examine it differently. But growing up, um, uh, thinking that it was over with, I really did believe that I had a lot of trouble growing up and I'm one of five siblings. So you think at least I would relate to one of them when it comes to just my upbringing, maybe getting to trouble and mischief. But I mean, that was my life and I felt really defined by being rebellious and just misbehaving and and just uh, very depressed and, and, and couldn't understand myself. I didn't think anybody understood me. I had, you know, experienced a lot of self-harm, self-sabotaging, and at that time, I thought that, oh, I just must be depressed. This is something my parents may have passed on to me, or, you know, this is, how am I not grateful for my life? You know, like, I have everything that's going for me, and, you know, a lot of that really struggled with me because I, I would try, at a young age, I didn't know much about, like, meditation or really trying to express gratitude or the law of attraction, which I practice today. But it really affected me because I'm walking around thinking, wow, like I'm just this depressed girl. I'm just, I'm diagnosed with bipolar and this and that. And meanwhile, I'm like, I don't believe this. This is, I just don't believe this is me. I had quite an identity issue, I think, growing up and always trying to almost reinvent myself. I experimented with, you know, alcohol and drugs at a young age. And I, I just felt like I didn't even have friends who had done those things. So I felt really outcasted and, um, always was trying to almost like live on the edge just to get this adrenaline rush to kind of escape from this person that I didn't like, you know, and I, uh, it's more so because I just wanted to disconnect from what I couldn't connect with. I didn't understand why I was feeling this way. And I think that was the biggest struggle of the side effects from Lyme that um, I now can look at and realize that that was, a, that was the reason why I was like that growing up. So now, did you treat with mental health professionals when you were going through these challenging times in your childhood? Yes, I actually had gone to therapy for probably 11 years. I mean, I've gone on and off. It was probably consistent for about six years. I mean, it was through middle school, through high school. And when I got to college, you know, I was trying to be more independent, still having the same behavior, still, you know, not getting it. I didn't even feel like, honestly, therapy helped me. It just gave me an outlet to really just speak to somebody. But I just, uh, it kind of 
I didn't really find the tools to really get through with what I was doing. And it's probably because I didn't know what I was dealing with. But uh, when I got to college, it was kind of on and off, but it was probably a good 11 years. I was going to therapy. The first few years, my parents, my mom and dad had different views about medicine. My uh, mom wanted me to get on some type of antidepressant. My dad is very whole, into holistic medicine, and um, we had issues with that. But uh, I, we, I had gone to some antidepressant medicine and actually started making me worse. And so we just kind of took the natural route and stuck with just therapy. Now, Mel, while you were treating with the various therapists that you treated with during your childhood, did any of them ever suggest to you that perhaps you were suffering from Lyme disease? Oh, no way. I mean, I, I didn't even think that. My parents didn't think that. I mean, I just don't even, even now, I think it's so important that people know that there are neurological and psychological side effects of this thing because I didn't feel nearly as much physical. I feel, I feel like down the line uh, when I had a more relapse in the past few years, um, this past year, it was more physical, but I had no idea because I, you're just kind of pushing through just like anybody would want to. It's like, you know, you're mentally going through something you're going to push through. It's not the same as seeing like, you know, your leg broken when really something else is broken inside you. You know, you're, you, it's not as easy to diagnose that. And I think that's why it's so important. People need to know that there are side effects in that. And that's where people need to be getting checked out. So, Mel, you indicated that when you were 12 and you had the event, you were beginning to pursue a career in modeling. Uh, mm -hmm. Did you continue that pursuit during the rest of your childhood prior to going to college? And did your mental health challenges impact your capacity to be successful in that pursuit? You know, it was really traumatizing what I went through. I mean, imagine I'm training and my parents are putting up money for me to take classes, for me to just get experience. It's at 12 years old. This is not like I'm 18 where I can go do all this stuff, drive myself to appointments and photo shoots and this and that. To be really committed to something at 12 years old and be so passionate about that and then to have it feel like it was ripped apart, I mean, to go to that competition I mean, my dad would jokingly say this to make fun of it, but he was like, I guess it wasn't meant for you. And that really stung me because I'm like, wow, is this the universe being like, no, nah, this is not for you. And I just, so I took a break from it. I think that's also what allowed, like, um, gave me the thoughts to get into a more rebellious behavior because I said, oh, well, you know, I worked hard at something and then was passionate and I did my best at something and didn't work out. Well, fuck everything else, you know, excuse my language. So I think that that really affected me. And I think the only way I was able to get back around into the position I am now where I do some more of that is I had to really heal from inside out. But it did, that whole experience was very traumatizing. And I think that's uh, affected me mentally down the road because I thought, um, you know, I just wasn't good enough. I just thought that, that like, how, how did this happen to me? I worked so hard, you know. So let's talk about the not feeling uh, good enough part of this. One of our past guests who's an, an Olympic gold medalist is a woman named Ariane Jones. And she actually put up a wonderful uh, video on our Lyme Hackathon where she talked about self-talk and the way you talk to yourself. And she said that when she was going through her challenge, the way she was talking to herself, she would never talk to someone else. That so she essentially was bullying herself. Did you find yourself mm -hmm. engaging in that same kind of self-talk where you were being mean to yourself? Your, you know, the thoughts in your head were, were, were more rude in the way that you were talking to yourself than you would have ever talked to somebody else in the real world? Oh, totally. I mean, from what I've learned so far, I mean, I look at myself when I was young and I just wish someone was there to shake me and say, hey, like, you're going to be okay. Because I think a lot of it comes down to like, one, the stress in your life. 
if you're stressed, I mean, your line's going to flare up. And I felt like I just wasn't handling it well. So I think, yeah, I definitely had a lot of negative self-talk. And I, it's odd, though, because I think it was even worse for me because I still was in sports. I still was, you know, I had good grades. I was super social butterfly. One of five kids. I also, my mom, unfortunately, became an alcoholic as I was growing up right after that time period. So I came, went from, you know, trying to heal myself, trying to heal my family. Parents got divorced. My dad lost his business. So we had a lot of turmoil. And I just put my, pushed myself aside and, you know, told myself that I should be grateful and then I should be, you know, you know, for, to be in this situation that at least, you know, have a roof over my head. But it wasn't enough because I obviously was just self-sabotaging. I was just, you know, I think really I just didn't love myself. And I think it's because I, I really lacked you know, the foundation to understand this is what you're going through and it's going to be okay. There's light at the end of the tunnel. So that's definitely a key component in me not feeling well, probably. So now let's talk about when you went to college. Where did you go to college and, and what were you pursuing when you chose the college you chose to go to? So I actually went to West Virginia University. That's the first school I went to outside, out of college. Um, and I went for fashion design and merchandising, which you don't really connect West Virginia with fashion design. It was the second school I was going to be going to. But I figured, you know, tough it out. I really wanted to transfer. And then um, it, it just ended up failing out. I was partying there. I was not in control of things. I ended up going back to uh, Maryland. And I went to community college and finished out my associates. And then following that is when I actually moved to Miami and I got my bachelor's in Miami. So how do you believe that your Lyme disease impacted your capacity to be a successful student first when you went to school in West Virginia and then ultimately when you completed your associates at a community college? I think because of the, the the way I wasn't dealing with my neurological, I do believe I had had neurological damage or issues, whatever you want to call it, and uh, just a lot of stuff I didn't deal with mentally, um, and I carried on with college, especially being in a position where now I have this new sense of responsibility, you you know, I have to, you know, basically stay committed to something, I think that I utilized the excuse of, oh, well, I just partied too hard, or I just, you know, you know, school wasn't for me. And I do look back at so many scenarios like that and think that what if that was my Lyme just really reaching out and was the reason why I couldn't stay focused, I couldn't commit tasks, and it was just getting worse. But of course, if you don't know, you don't think to blame it on that. So I think that that was, it kind of uh, contributed to me not being focused in school. I think the reason why it was able to refocus is because when I came back to Maryland, I was living with my family again. I had a roof over my head, so I don't have to worry about working. I had just, you know, had that, that security and safety. I wasn't on a giant campus far away from home. And I think I was able to, to really focus on just, you know, going to school and being disciplined with that, that enough that I got my associates, enough to, like, get a plan after that to eventually go to Miami. Um, but it took a you know, it just would be frustrating because I grew up and I feel like I had a good education. I had a, you know, good understanding of things. It would just be frustrating that I, I, I still look back and think, I, man, I went to three schools, kind of wonder if that, that was even really necessary. I think it was just a lot of up and down in that time for me mentally. So now let's talk about when you started to exhibit physical symptoms that brought you to the conclusion that you were suffering from a Lyme disease relapse from the, uh, 
fight that you had suffered when you were 12 years old. When did you start showing more physical symptoms rather than just the emotional and mental health symptoms? You know what? I sound crazy. I just kind of realized this and I just, I never connected it before, but I don't know if you guys know about when people get stretch marks in certain areas and they're, they're, um, they're not like the normal way your body would stretch. They're almost crossing, but the opposite. So when I, I was um, on a dance team when I was younger, uh, all throughout high school and continued after that. And in high school, I pulled my hamstring and it, you know, it wasn't that bad. And I just remember seeing stretch marks there on the inside of my leg, which is just from my age. I've never been overweight. I've never, I mean, I am, I, I believe I have muscle tone, but not to the point where it's like bodybuilder status of rich, ripping my skin. And I remember pulling my hamstring. I remember it was the night before a homecoming dance. We had performed for, you know, on the football field. And I remember looking later and, and realizing just then that I have these stretch marks and I just, I didn't ever notice it before. I don't know if I just didn't see it. But I look back and I know that that is a sign for um, when it comes to Lyme. And even to this day, I always just, oh, it's just muscle, you know, stuff with my muscle, stuff with my skin. I never connected it to Lyme. So that was probably the first physical sign. And I just brushed it off. I figured, you know, I probably stretched marks somewhere else and it's not a big deal. But they were pretty obvious. I mean, you see them shorts, it looked like tiger stripes, like really on the inside, especially if I got sun. But besides that, I, I do recall, like, just growing up having muscle pains. But, again, I was always athletic. I was always in sports. Uh, you know, just the past few years, I got my personal training certification. So I just always connected it to, oh, just my lifestyle. Everyone must feel this way, which is, I'm sure, a lot of people with Lyme, everyone must feel this way. I just need to get over it. And then within the, the past year or so, last year when I was really sick, but a year before that is when I had, it was like chronic pain. And I also worked in nightclubs and events, I mean, physically dancing, you know, performing shows, whatever it may be. And it would be like, I'd have to take ice baths and, you know, I'd have to literally bring menthol with me just to get through a shift, um, just to get through a performance. Uh, and I just thought it was just me just overworking my body, but I figured it was mind over matter. I put myself through a lot more pain and I was like, I'll just, you know, keep going. It was until last year that my skin and I always had acne and my, my siblings never really had acne like me. So my dad assumes that that could have been just a side effect from Lyme too, just my immune system because the past year or two, um, it was so bad. I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily want to, but I do feel like at, at some point I will have to share people what, what happened with my skin. It was so bad. I could literally imagine taking your pinky finger and putting it just in your cheek. And I could literally, it was a hole. I mean, there was just, it almost looked like I had MRSA. I was going to the doctor, the dermatologist. And that's when I really noticed the physical side effects, which I know now know were from Lyme. Um, it was just my immune system crying out. And obviously I had been putting my body through a lot. So me, my body kind of talking to me and being like, oh, we're sore, or my muscle aches, or this and that. You know, I had been self, just self-medicating in the best way I could just to naturally take care of myself. And until my skin broke out like that, and to the point where I work in nightlife, I work plenty of crazy costumes, you know, for shows. I had to really call up the my agent and be like, if I'm working tonight, you need to find a mask for me to wear. I mean, how embarrassing is that to have that, that be your almost moneymaker per se, and I go in literally 
a hood over my head in Miami, hot Miami, trying to hide my face because I had band-aids on my face and my face was just continued bleeding. I mean, my face got to the point where it's so swollen on my eye. It looked like someone knocked me out. Like the blood was just not flowing there. And it was, it was so bad. I went to the dermatologist and they assumed that I was just picking at my skin, that I had, uh, I had anxiety issues with my skin. So that was really infuriating, but that was the first real mark of outside of the stretch marks is that where I physically noticed something from the Lyme where what I know now is Lyme. Melanie, have you ever talked about Bartonella with your doctors? It's also known as cat scratch disease, which can look like stretch marks on the back of your leg or throughout your body. And it's a very common co-infection with Lyme disease. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So I didn't know that, obviously, when I was younger. I mean, I felt like the information I have now, I wish my parents knew or someone knew, but because I feel like my doctor didn't even know, was a pediatrician. Um, but now, yeah, when I, this past year, when I got tested for everything, I mean, I did test every month uh, with this doctor um, and found out that that's exactly what that was from, the Bartonella. And thinking back and looking at your childhood, when you went, you had all of these symptoms after you had your, your tick bite and your initial Lyme disease infection and treatment, and they manifested in the beginning as psychological symptoms, right? You said you were some depression and anxiety. When you were seeing these psychiatrists and all of these doctors, did any of them give you prescription medication to try to help your symptoms at least? Or are they just kind of telling you, you got to get yourself straight and dismissing you? They had suggested it, but again, my parents had very different views. They were going through a a, a divorce, so I almost I almost also felt conflicted by that feeling, like oh, I'm making my parents decide over how you know they had conflictions over medical. So when they went to court, they you know had to decide who's going to make the medical decisions. That was a big thing because my dad was very about holistic and just trying to find any option before just putting me on a pill. Let's say he's not necessarily was against me taking any medication, but was more so, you know, just let's look at alternatives before we just put on some drugs. And my dad had started to get into a lot of new age stuff that people are aware of now back then. So back then, imagine some stuff that people are doing, whether it's ozone therapy or, or rice machine work. Uh, he was doing that then and looked like a quack, you know. And so back then, uh, they had suggested I got on, on medication. I was on, I think, Prozac for like maybe a couple, six months to a year. And they had noticed that it just numbed me out and I had no personality and it just, I didn't like it. It made me change my whole appetite and the whole mood and it wasn't good. I, I'd rather had not been on the medication than be able to just express myself whether it was good or bad. You exhibited classic symptoms of neurological Lyme disease and many people with neurological Lyme, when they're falsely given these, these medications, whether it's for depression or anxiety, they generally don't work. So would you agree that when you were on that for a short period of time that it really didn't help you, it just sort of numbed you and turned you into this like zombie-like person? Yeah, totally. It did not work. I didn't, I didn't think it did anything to me because I, I, I just remember going into, into therapy and actually I, I'm very vocal. I'm very capable of opening up and being emotional, which I like that side of myself. And I remember going in there and I didn't have anything to say. I would literally be like looking at the time. I just remember that period being like, it was just kind of like I was just my personality. My, it was emotionless and there was nothing I could even contribute to a conversation. So it's like, oh, you're not depressed, but you're also not Melanie anymore. So you mentioned that your father had a, a view of holistic medicine as being a good way to treat some of your potential symptoms that you're having. But back then it was even less accepted than it is today. 
Did your mm -hmm. father ever successfully treat you with anything like ozone or any of these alternative therapies that could have probably helped you back then? Um, no, because that's kind of when I had like this, my parents were battling back and forth. It was custody. Where's Melanie? Are you staying at mom's house or dad's house? It, that's what kind of was frustrating is because if they had got over their difference, and I don't blame that at all, they didn't know. But if they had got over the difference and may have found at least come to a conclusion, a solution, but they only concluded that therapy was the way to go. And um, I, I don't think that he wanted, I think he didn't feel comfortable yet either, uh, just because he hadn't experimented or, or tried long enough with some of these therapies to really be able to just give it to his daughter. But he definitely was interested. I mean, he tried, you know, uh, teaching me more about, um, just even about the overall cold shower methods, just certain things that for strengthening your immune system, you know, just breathing techniques and yoga. And I started to get into some of that with him, especially with the yoga and meditation. But um, outside of any of that, but some of those stuff that, you know, I do now with ozone and, um, you know, uh, rice frequencies and stuff, uh, I, yeah, I don't think he felt comfortable yet because it's stuff, it was still new. And, you know, to him, he could, it could look like, oh, you're neglecting taking care of your child, which really, no, it's just he doesn't want to put me on medication that's not working. And you, that's the thing is that you have to become your own doctor with Lyme. And I'm very grateful for my dad this day because I think that he was, that's what got him into actually studying new techniques of how to heal. Because if I didn't go through Lyme, and that's what I'm grateful is, if I didn't go through Lyme, I wouldn't have known these ways to heal. Another common thing that we're seeing now presently in the Lyme community, especially on Instagram, is, is a concept called depersonalization. Have you heard of, of that concept? Yes. So there's a, an account we follow uh, at Body Lime Spirit on Instagram, and they give a really good description of what it was, and I'm not going to do even close to what it deserves. But really, it's, it's when you sort of experience this out-of-body experience, and it's almost like your body is disconnected from your mind. So can you walk us through what that's like? Because many Limeys feel this, and it, it puts this fear in them that something is wrong, and maybe it's more than just Lyme, but it's not. This is a symptom of neurological Lyme. So can you walk us through what that was like for you, for our listeners? Yeah, you know what I noticed that actually when I was young, it, I actually noticed that when I was maybe in middle school and high school, and I thought it was just kind of a moment of relapse in my mind, because I remember I would say something, but then it would be like, I, it was almost like my body was saying it, and like words would come out, or I so I thought, but no one would respond to me, and I look at myself and be like, well, did I just say that, or is that something I just imagined, and it was like my body was disconnected from what I was really experiencing, and then I'd have to say something again, and it was clear that the person never heard me say something for the first time, so it was, that's like the only type of out-of-body experience I kind of had, and it, it was a little scary, and still happens here and there and I just try to more so acknowledge it instead of being afraid of it because it is uh it's almost just like a lapse in your mental judgment of what's going on now before you realize that all of this was still just symptoms and a consequence of your of your Lyme disease was there anything you did that helped alleviate your symptoms that you can recommend to our our listeners so for example you had this depersonalization you had some of the psychological problems like uh, depression you had some other body pain issues, like you mentioned, you had chronic body pain, uh, the, you know, the, the skin issues with, with your, your face. W was there anything you did that worked well for you before you knew it was Lyme that you can recommend to our listeners who are having similar issues? Yeah, I think, honestly, the biggest part of it, 
for me, and like I think a lot of people notice that when they're stressed, they flare up. And for me, it's really just maintaining a like a calm, neutral level, and 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 just try not to let everything get you in in that way because a lot of things can be manifested physically from just something you've experienced emotionally or mentally. I think. Uh, journaling is so important, whether you're just journaling about your symptoms or you're journaling about, um, you know, just what you're going through. It, it just finding a way to release that, that type of those thoughts for me helps so much. I mean, it has, and, and just try to even be creative with it. If you're not, if you're not really into journaling, writing is not your thing. For me, I love writing. I could write all day. Maybe just to have some form of an outlet to get it out because I think a lot of times we let this build up in us. And we're not even aware where it's coming from where we're just like, oh, you know, I'm feeling this way and I don't know what's going on. You kind of get in a state of panic because you're like, how, how is this not something I can easily fix? But you have to, I think, in addition to that and um, trying to find a way to be active, too. I think, you know, ironically enough that you made a tick in nature. I think being in nature and being outdoors and just being able to connect with the Mother Earth is, is so powerful and it's so therapeutic, and I know that doesn't seem like, oh, well, that's not going to cure Lyme right away, but you know what? If you do that every morning, if you have time to yourself every day where you're just walking in nature, if you have time to journal, a lot of this, it really comes down to being able to get your mental strength, and then, okay, you're mentally strong. Now we can face the physical stuff. So, Melody, can you walk us through the crash that you had in January of 2019? So now you're, you're out of school. You go on this trip to Colorado. You, you go on this hiking experience that you went on, on on a quick vacation, and then you had this physical crash. Can you walk us through that experience? So I had always had already been breaking up until that point. I mean, I literally had um, almost like a scar on the side of my face. I mean, I still do. You probably can't see it in this video, but I went out there. My dad invited me to hike uh, with my aunt and my two cousins out there. They have a cabin out all the way in Colorado. Um, I think it was about two-hour drive from Denver. So we drove out there. We were hiking, exploring outside. I mean, it was very active. I felt okay. And then it was literally the last day of our trip. I felt so nauseated. I felt in so much pain. Um, I felt like my entire body ached. And I don't know if it was just the, me pushing my body too much during that trip. I mean, we were pretty active, but it wasn't something I wasn't used to. It got so bad. Um, I had to lay down the entire car ride um, up into the airport, and it got so bad, I couldn't even walk. I, I mean, I tried to really, like, just close my eyes and be like, Melanie, you can do this, you can do this. I tried to, like, I couldn't even stand up. They had to put my bags on the back of a wheelchair, and they had to wheelchair me through the airport. And meanwhile, I, I am not really good with controlling my emotions. So I'm holding back tears this entire time because I'm just like, what is happening? Like, am I really this sick? Like I've been through some sick times and I've been like, I've muscled through working in a crazy loud nightclub or at a music festival where I felt sick and just not feeling well in general. And I'm like, I've been through way worse stuff. How can I not just stand in line to go through security? This is unbelievable. I get there. My dad, my, my dad was flying back to DC and I'm flying back to Miami. had 12 hours until my flight. So I'm curled up in a ball underneath uh, the airport seats, I found some little secluded area where, you know, like, I guess it was at the end where no one was actually sitting at, there was no one at that gate. And I just literally curled up under a ball um, around, um, around my luggage and just tried to wait it out. And I felt so sick. I mean, I just felt like, 
all over my body. Someone was squeezing my arms and my legs and my neck and my head, like just pulsating. And I just, I couldn't eat. I was just trying to stay hydrated throughout the entire time. I had someone to actually assign to me to like help me get on the air, you know, on the plane. When I get back, I get all the way to Miami. Um, I end up, when I got to Miami, I think I just, I just knocked out. I finally, my body finally knocked out. And it was mentally, I knew I was home. So I fell asleep. And I just, I thought it was just a, a stomach bug or some sickness but that really sparked. It was just, uh, you know, right after that, it was really what sparked me getting really, really sick. I got back, I made it home, but then I didn't really connect that after that point, I was practically bedridden. I mean, I would have work and I'm working late at night in a nightclub and I remember them I just last minute call up, like, I can't come in. Like, I can't even get up to do my makeup, nothing. And it just continued like that every week. Like, I can do it, I can do it. And then last minute, nope, I can't do it. And it got weeks of that, of not working and having just to order Uber Eats food because I couldn't even make anything in my fridge. Um, My trash was piling up in my house. I mean, I couldn't do my laundry. I was literally running out of clothes. It was so bad. And I was so afraid to reach out for someone to help, especially someone like my nature, always, you know, out and about. I work in events. I mean, anybody who knew me knew that, like, I work all the time. I like working. I like having that sense of accomplishment and sense of, you know, self-sufficiency. And also, in addition to that, always staying active, always taking care of myself. How how am I sick? Like, how, how I couldn't reach out to someone else for help because that would just be embarrassing. So it went on for, like, probably two months or something like that, so January up until March, um, until I finally reached out to my dad and my skin at that point was so bad. My face was swollen. I had multiple scar wounds in my face of just, uh, I mean, it was just felt like it was eating me from the inside out. Now, I mean, looking back, do you think it's possible that you potentially get reinfected? You, you were hiking and you were in nature. So you think it's possible that you had multiple tick bites throughout your, your life and you could have been reinfected, which made your sickness that much worse? It could have been, but, um, I mean, I did think about that because I, I noticed that I was just naturally out in nature more often in being, I mean, I remember I would bike ride on my, in my bike almost at least two hours a day, like maybe at least five times a week, just going to, I utilize it. I, I got in a car accident, which just, I didn't get hurt or anything, but I lost my car and I got a really nice bike. I grocery shop with it. I go to the gym with it. I even go to castings with it. And um, I was outside a lot more than I used to be. And so I did think that that could be a potentially, you know, a, some sort of uh, possibility. But then it's hard for me to admit that and think that, okay, if I just got bit by a tick when I was young, then what was all the psychological and physical pain and even the Bartonella marks, you know, that were kind of in between that time period if supposedly I was healed from mine before and I was bit by another tick. Yeah, so, so do you think it's possible that you were bit when you were 12 and then you were bit again maybe numerous times throughout your life and that's why you had those psychological symptoms, the Bell's palsy, the, the Bartonella when you were younger, and then you got bit again throughout your life, which made you get even more sick to your ultimate crash in January of 2019? I don't think so because I just, it's the type of nature I'm out in. I mean, in Miami where, like, where I was out, outside all the time, I guess it's possible, but there's not, there's not even really trees like that. And I just, I'm not in nature. I'd be biking on the side of the road, you know, where there's not really as much, you know, what you say wildlife or right. Um, but growing up, it would make more sense. Okay. If maybe I had gotten bit by a tick again, maybe 
a few years after I initially got it when I was 12, because I was still residing in Maryland. It still like was active in nature. It's definitely a possibility. But after I had gotten bit by that tick and we had found out that it was technically Lyme at 12, I mean, I was still checking like crazy. So I feel like it would have been just a rare chance that that really was to have happened. Another thing to consider is, you know, at the time you had chronic Lyme disease and you didn't know it. And many people with chronic Lyme disease get really sick and have relapses and their health worsens after traveling. So do you think that the travel experience was the cause of your decline in health, potentially due to exposure to other people who are being sick, the stress of traveling and all the things that go along with it? Um, when you say traveling, do you mean, because I've obviously traveled a few times in my life, specifically when after, you know, when I went to college or moving to, my, to Miami? Well, we're thinking maybe when you went to Colorado for that trip to go hiking, that's oh, when your crash sort okay. of began right after that. So do you think your trip to Colorado and the stress of traveling on your body and your immune system, that that just put your body at an all-time low and that's what caused your, your major decline from that point forward? Okay, yeah, I know that. I mean, I actually, I, it's a great point because I never actually connected that before because I was out in nature. I mean, I, out hiking around i mean it then granted i i don't know the 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 ecosystem out there i guess but and now that you say that that's potentially possible that i was hiking out there and in in that process i had gotten had a tick on me i'm not thinking about ticks at all at that point because i'm just thinking that's just kind of the more inhabited and, and kind of not like a colder climate which is totally possible they could be out there and i could have gotten could have easily got bit there. I mean, I, it's kind of hard to imagine because I'm, you know, when, just when you shower and naturally you're looking at your body, you don't see it. Um, then again, I could have gotten bit and it could have came off, but I mean, that could have been a, a, a very likely possibility. Just the fact that I was directly in nature, I was outdoors a lot and it happened right afterwards. So now that you're back from this vacation and your health is declining, you mentioned you just fought through it for a few months. At what point did you find out that all of this was the consequence of the Lyme disease when you were a child? How did you find that, doctor? What was that connection which finally gave you that aha moment that this is all just from chronic Lyme disease? I actually have a lot of conversations that I've had with my dad. My dad has been really my savior in all this because he's been just on it about like, let's try to find the next new thing. Just like how you said you talked with Richard about just calling back and forth, like, did you know about this? And you do that's the conversation we would have. And of course, I'm my dad's daughter, you know, he wants to make sure I'm well. So for him to find any new information, we're going to go back and forth. So I think um, it comes down to the that his really being compassionate about this whole situation. Um, I think had helped me kind of look into it. I started in a lot of issues with my dad. I rebelled against him mostly. And uh, I think growing up, he kind of also wondered too, like, was I a bad parent? Like, was I not doing the right things? I mean, all my other kids kind of were more behaving and they didn't have all these issues and really wanted to help me, not necessarily kind of take blame away from him, but like, you know, what was it that really wasn't working out? And for a while, I had a lot of, you know, issues even with connecting with my father because I always thought that, even kind of blame some on him, kind of, you know, this is a, a result of your bad parenting, you not being there for me, this is why I was like this. Now, it could have been a combination of that, but I know surely that it majorly was me just being affected from Lyme, and it's sad to say that, like, that has affected my relationship with my parents, and I'm just glad to have come to that conclusion with him. He, he'll just bring attention to something 
uh, you know, some attention to it. And we, it's probably within this past year of just being home and him being business under my care, kind of looking back, like, let's go back and do a check box and say, okay, was, you know, was this happening to you? Was this happening to you? And really me and him kind of going through side by side, we were able to look back and be able to, and I was able to be vulnerable and be like, hey, you know what, maybe I really was, you know, depressed or not feeling well because of this and we didn't connect to it. So really my dad was the one who brought my attention to a lot of this because, I mean, even still to this day, I'm finding out new information and I'm, I don't use it as a way to blame it on Lyme and just be like, oh, well, that's because of Lyme and just an easier excuse. It gives me a, a way to really look into it deeper and say, hey, you know what, and this, brings, this, this raises some red flags. Maybe we'll look into why, you know, maybe I had experienced this and I didn't necessarily have to if I had the answers that people do now maybe with Lyme. So now that you're, you and your dad are having this exchange when you're really sick and you're going back and forth, and you're starting to put, connect the dots that all of these things that you're experiencing since you've been 12 could be now correlated back to your ultimate tick bite in your Lyme disease. What doctor did you go to to now explore this option to see if your, your guess and your research is, was accurate? Um, so when I first found out the, the, the holes in my face and that was like the biggest sign that I didn't even think it was Lyme. We thought it was some type of skin thing. I thought it was like MRSA or, and I got checked for all that it wasn't anything. So when I was sent it, so I had been looking for probably about a year just Googling what was happening to my skin. And I'm not sure if you heard of the controversial topic of Morgellons, but that's the first doctor that I went to go see is someone who deals with that. Now I knew that like that it's, still kind of controversial people don't really know they think it's a psychological thing which I still don't know I believe that it could be both it could be it could be a play of the mind but I can't deny and I video footage and pictures and I can't deny what I physically felt let alone seen um, on my skin so the first doctor I went to was Ginger Savely and she has a great huge community of people who uh, she helps with Morgellons and who uh, typically patients with Morgellons um, I think all of them uh, actually they're around the roots thing between them all is that they all have Lyme and that's where we started going from there she was super helpful just to kind of educate us I don't work with her any longer I just feel like we have different viewpoints about how to handle it she kept me on medication a little too long and I, I didn't want to be dependent on it and my dad had a lot of other alternatives through his holistic doctor who practices cling heart um, work um, so we kind of combined both those but initially, I went to see Ginger Savely, and she helped me a lot with just really even understanding with like what my body was going through. And at that point, what treatment options or what was this doctor recommending you do to try to get better? And were those things working for you? It was pretty tough. I mean, uh, between I, my dad wanted me to see his holistic doctor, and my I, I think overall I wanted to, and he wanted to me to continue to see Ginger Stavely just because she seemed to be an expert in it. And fortunately enough, she we had an appointment with her, and she lived right in Washington D.C., which isn't close to which close to where we were in Maryland. So I figured while I'm up in Maryland getting treated, um, you know, it would be a safe haven there. She had me on a few different medications, um, what I which I had to kind of slowly start. Uh, I think I have a, I don't even know the names of them. I'm so bad at these medications, but the a few medications were basically to flush me out. And it, what I experienced is I started with one and I started with the second one, maybe a, two or three weeks later, what it did it, I got the Hertzmer reaction. So that was um, basically if people don't know what that is, I'm sure you guys do is when your body, it doesn't 
recognize that the, the medicine that you're taking is not trying to kill the bad stuff inside you, that it's actually so powerful, it believes it's dying. So your body is like under this state that feels like it, it, it's actually trying to fight this process because it thinks, oh, my God, you're killing us. I remember my temperature got below like 96 degrees. It was very odd. I, I really felt like I was going to die. I thought I was going to die before. And meanwhile, I'm trying to get better. And you, and then you have to go through this process. And it was about a month of that. I mean, fever. And then I, my temperature would go down. I had to take ice baths. I mean, I, I had to eat a certain diet even before I started that medication to basically make sure my body wasn't going to have an allergic reaction to maybe was eating tomatoes or eating um, certain like if it was anything with lemon, certain things that would kind of trigger the medication. But I had to be very particular about how I started it. And in addition to that, I was taking these, uh, I forgot what you call it, these uh, droplets of different type of natural uh, medicine, um, just different type of roots, different type of conjures that that was a tea that I had to drink three times a day. I had to prepare it right there in the moment. I mean, this process it was so tedious. I, I mean, and in addition to be not being well, I just had, I mean, just to have to ask someone to make you a tea sounds so ridiculous, but I couldn't even do that. So we were doing the medications with Ginger Savely, and then I was doing the the more natural method with the, the different teas that I was drinking for the holistic doctor that I was seeing. The medication with Ginger was, do you recall what that medication was that caused you to hurt so bad? Um, if I give you a second, I can just actually look it up. Oh, it was a Bactrim and Biaxin. I know there's the official names for them, but both of them, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, that's that's what those are the two, and then there was a sulfamethazole, or I think it was another one, which I had already taken once for my skin before, and I think doxycycline. Um, so those were for my skin, but the Bactrim and Biaxin were the ones that are so bad. I, I I didn't even think a medication could do that. And for me, it was pretty disturbing even to think afterwards. I do think it helped because it got me over the initial um, pain because my skin started, you know, I had, my face was practically swollen from how much inflammation I had in my face and the rest of my body. Um, and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't also digest food normally. I, I wasn't, I was eating normally, but I was just losing weight. So that helped with that initially. Um, but it was definitely painful and the hurts my reaction uh, came with those two. And now this was treatment still for the Margellin, uh, Margellins through, through your first doctor. And then you were going with your natural doctor with those tinctures and the, and the herbal teas to just treat your yeah. body at a holistic level, correct? Correct. So she treated me with the Margellins, but I know a lot of, she, I just looked up, we did a lot of research also people with just with Lyme were able to get, have the success with the same type of, you know, practices. Yeah, so, so a lot of these medications are also used to treat Lyme as well, and it seems like that's what it was doing, was treating the Lyme bacteria and causing your hurts. So did she also believe that, she, that you had Lyme too, or was this just a coincidence that you were being given this medication that would treat the Lyme disease? No, she believed I had Lyme too. I mean, we did tests and everything. They found the, I mean, if I looked at my paperwork, they had found the Bartonella, the uh, Babesia, um, Borrelia, like those were all things that were in my body that they found, so. So talk to us about some of the, the things you did to alleviate your symptoms now with these, this, these new, this new doctor team, your, your natural doctor through your dad and, and now following Klinghart's protocol. 
in your pre-interview questionnaire, you mentioned things like things like ozone therapy and this miracle mineral solution and medicated lotion and cold showers. So can you talk to us about which of those worked best for you and what advice you'd give our listeners to use those things to help alleviate their symptoms? Um, I mean, to each his own, I think that this is really a process of like trial and error with anyone because I could tell you what works for me and may not, you may not suffer as much as the physical stuff. You may suffer more than emotional stuff, but I think it's kind of trying to put a combination and to start slowly because initially my dad gave me all this stuff and I'm like, I can't do this all in one day. I can't do this, 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 and that. Like, I'm just trying to slowly adapt to this. So that's what I would say to anyone who's trying to figure out what can help them heal just start slowly and just just document it all, record it all. I took pictures, I took videos, you know, I've documented my skin. The most um, powerful thing to me is, like, I have a lot of body aches, and I like to still work out. I do personal training still, so it's part of my life. This is not something that I can just stop. So with that, the most important being the physical, um, I have found that the having any type of CBD or any type of, of that medicated lotion, um, in addition to essential oils have been very powerful for me as well for calming, which is, can be therapeutic, but even just uh, essential oils to rub on the body for when you have muscle pain, I'll do that right before I go to bed. I get peppermint oil or do CBD medicated lotion and I rub it on certain areas. I know I always get cramps in my legs throughout the night. I'll get like muscle spasm or almost like restless leg syndrome. And that will be something I could put on and will soothe it. In addition to that, um, I don't know if you've heard of the plant Kratom, um, but they sell it at smoke shops. So it's kind of, it would probably fall under the category of something like CBD, but you put it in a tea and actually it's called, it's called Metrina speciosa. That's the natural name of the plant. And it comes to the same plant as coffee, and it actually works just like how they have different strands of, you know, THC for maybe something, you know, being more mellow or something being more active. You, you, it's the same thing, and they have one that I take. I put it about a tablespoon in my tea in hot water, and I drink it. It does not taste good, but I'm telling you, it works wonders for my muscle pain. In addition, also helps me a lot with focus. For coffee, it's it's always just kept me awake. It never helped me with focus. And I have a lot of brain fog that I, I know is attributed to Lyme that I'm constantly trying to work through. I get distracted very easily. When I take that, it helps me a lot with um, just staying focused and just following through with the simple tasks of the day. And so I think Kratom is, is very powerful. The CBD Medicaid lotion, um, in addition, the ozone therapy my dad put me on too. I, I drink ozone water every morning. I try to drink it throughout the day. Um, and then uh, I also have, because my skin was breaking out, I had ozonated oils that um, I would put on my face. So if I, I ever felt like my skin was just um, kind of out of sorts, sometimes I always feel like my skin, because of the more jealous, would actually kind of kind of flare up and almost I would feel it almost as if thing was biting you and I put that on and immediately it would feel better. Um, so the ozone is definitely a new therapy I think a lot of people should look into. And um, in addition to that, this is something that, you know, maybe controversial to some people, but I do believe also in the power of frequencies. There's a great site. Um, if you just look in Google called Right Frequencies, I used to use that because I'd always have fatigue in the morning after working out anytime I would just listen to that take a nap and it would 20 minutes I would feel so much better and it's crazy because we naturally have a frequency in our body and when you listen to that frequency 
I don't know the science behind it, but I know that it, it basically uh, uh, picks on certain tones in your body and it, it almost like recalibrates you. I did the same thing too. I'd also get nausea when I would ride in a Uber in the car in the passenger side. I had to sit in the back because I just couldn't handle the nausea. And I know that was that was actually a side effect of when I was on medication. I couldn't take the medication and just hop in the Uber right away. And I would listen to the frequency on my headphones in there for a nausea frequency. And it actually, I, I wouldn't feel sick. Because I would feel sick at the point of throwing up sometimes, and they would just completely eliminate it. So I think the ozone, the right frequencies, the kratom, and CBD are definitely, like, something I try to always keep uh, keep in my regimen. And, and that's outside of even diet and just physical stuff as well. Melanie, those are all excellent tips. And to get a little more specific for our listeners who are interested in the right frequencies, where did you get this right frequency machine? It sounds like it's something you can kind of listen to while you're in an Uber or, or something like that. Uh -huh. So where did you get it? And what would you recommend to our listeners who want to learn more about this to potentially look into this technology? I'm going to look up the actual, I have it right here, right? Okay, so the site is actually called Rife Therapies, and they've been around for a long time. It's the, the name that, that actually should pop up when you're looking for it, Poopie 2 And they have an, a whole list of all different types of issues. Like you can type in, you know, maybe if you have abdominal pain, if you have muscle cramps, uh, menstrual cramps, if you have, you know, uh, acne, if you have a, a, a rash on your body. I mean, every type of thing comes down to something internally, right? Um, even if the, if the cause is from something external, you can still heal it internally. So my dad, uh, again, uh, he had a right feet machine when I was younger. That's one of the therapies he used for himself to kind of just meditate, recalibrate. And uh, I remember using it when I was younger, but of course, uh, my family uh, had different views about how to heal. But overall, the rice therapy, my dad uh, introduced it to me when we were just trying to find any means of just trying to heal in that moment. And a lot of these healing methods come from over time and consistency. And okay, you've been doing this for two weeks now. You try to you finally start to feel effects. What do you can you feel kind of more instantaneously? And this was the first thing that I ever noticed. Like wow, I actually feel better within this half hour. This is crazy. Um, I think that you could either get the rice machine, which is two bars. They're actually like electrodes that you actually hold in your hand and connect to a machine, and they will emit the frequency and a vibration, which you'll feel in your body. You almost feel like you're holding that zap gum, that trick gum where you actually get zapped. You hold that in your hand, and you actually feel the frequencies go through your body. Now, if you don't do that, it's just as powerful You, if you plug your headphones in or listen to it very loud on your phone or say like your computer and you should be able to hear it uh, almost kind of echoing when you're when you're listening to it to be that loud and it it just works wonders man I, I think that that will be really the future of healing with a lot of people I think even there's a lot of places that know the benefits of that and it's kind of one of those things that's kind of a kept secret because they don't want people to heal themselves but I'm telling you here that, that you can totally do that with this. Melanie, you are our 107th podcast guest, and nobody has explained that as well as you have. So I just wanted to let you know that that was told brilliantly. I just learned so much from that. So thank you for explaining it that way. That was just brilliant. And I, I want to jump back to the essential oils because you mentioned that they helped you both with your physical pain and emotionally as well. So you mentioned that peppermint oil applied topically to your, your, you know, your skin can help alleviate some of the pain and the muscle spasms and things like that. But what essential oils did you use to help you emotionally? And how did you use them? Did you use them in a diffuser, topically? And, and we want to try to give our listeners some advice about how to use essential oils 
with specific symptoms to Lyme disease? So I actually have a humidifier running here because when it was, uh, it was a little chilly here actually, and uh, we had a heater running and it was just like really dry air. So I actually brought my humidifier up here and I realized that I hadn't used it in a while and I, I noticed how many other oils that you know I could use in there. But usually uh, if you're not doing it through a humidifier, which kind of emits it through the air, kind of adds moisture. For, it's, I think it's better for me for overall for my skin. My skin can naturally be dry, so it's kind of like putting moisture in, in addition to essential oil in the air. But for me, I use the top of it. I literally put a few drops and rub it in between my hands. I kind of rub my hands back together, create some heat, and then I just breathe it in. Just use it as aromatherapy. I'll do it for me and my boyfriend in the morning, especially. Um, I do the peppermint oil on my hands to energize me. So in addition, in the morning, if I'm taking the kratom or, or I have some tea in the morning, I do that. I rub it together and take a deep inhale and then I gut it out. And then I do the rubbing hands together again, deep inhale. And I do that about three times. And that's just, it's definitely a, a little way to get a, a boost. I mean, you're just breathing in straight menthol. It's cooling. It's energizing. But in addition to something that's more maybe calming or therapeutic, um, I actually really like, I like lavender for more nighttime, but I really like citrus. The citrus is still a little bit more energizing, but it's not so like strong, like maybe the scent of um, of the scent of peppermint, but it's it kind of just has a nice touch. Also putting it on you, you're not walking around with some crazy menthol. I know I, all the time when I was dealing with side effects from, from physical pain, I smell like menthol all the time. My friends always be like, oh my God, it's a little too much. But the citrus is something, a nice tone that you could wear. And you, I, I admit that instead of using fragrances, I use essential oils. And you can even put that in your lotion, put a little lotion in your hands, add a drop, put that in your hand, rub it together, maybe rub it on your neck or your chest. The points that I usually put it on, even um, if going back to the peppermint, it's just to continually have it. Uh, I rub it through my hands and I put one little tiny dot right above my lip just the slightest bit, nothing that's super wet, and it's there continuously. I'm constantly breathing it in. And the peppermint you use to sort of energize, you said, right? Yeah, energize for sure. And now the citrus and the lavender, you mentioned you put that in your lotion. You can put it on topically almost as like a, as like a scented sort of like perfume sort of alternative. But do you also yeah. inhale that as well? So is that one that you would do rubbing your hands and inhale as well? You can. Um, I don't usually, I usually inhale the the peppermint one because I feel like I need that burst of energy that's got something more I'm lacking um, but to wind down I actually will take the the lavender and I rub it on just my pointer finger and I do it on the sides of my temples and I just kind of rub it in right there and it's almost kind of it's, it's the center right between your ears and your eyes it kind of relaxes you it's kind of you're not don't get it in your eye of course but uh, that and the same thing with the citrus I'll usually put that on my wrist and rub my wrist together and then I can, you know, you also can inhale it the same, but you put that right underneath my ear. So again, it's kind of close to where I'm breathing in, but it's not like the peppermint where I need it right underneath my nose, where I really need it that strong. It's just like a subtle note. And the last thing I want to focus on as far as things you've done to help your symptoms is the cold showers. Because many Lyme's vary. Some Lyme's really, really need cold and other Lyme's can't stand the cold. And the same thing with heat. So for you personally, mm -hmm. How did the cold showers help you with your symptoms? I think I think both really helped me actually. Like the the heat, the being in the sauna, I didn't put that because I think the cold showers are still more important. But um, I just feel like when I take cold showers, and actually did yesterday, I jumped. There's like a, a huge lake out here. I was just like, you know what? I'm just gonna jump in the lake and <laughs> go and uh, do a lot of Wim Hof breathing methods. 
Um, and I try to kind of calm my body down, but then actually put my body in a state of cold. So I do that if I'm going to do something like going in this like cold lake out here, but with the cold showers, I just try to, one, it kind of gets, makes you sure that you have a shorter shower. We don't need to be in showers for 20 minutes. But in addition to that, I, it, it feels like totally rejuvenating and it's almost, almost more of a mental hack than it is even physical because it's a, a, you're kind of just like, okay, you got to get through this. You got to get through this. And you're not thinking about anything else, but just it's cold, but you know, it's okay. Just got, and you, I think that's almost like a therapy that helps me to kind of mentally get through, through some painful things. It's like, just like animals out in the wilderness, they're probably faced with a lot more than we are. And over a period of time, human species, we've just gotten a lot more convenient life. But when you go back to this animalistic nature, I mean, we're fully capable of being in those environments and being okay. And I think putting your body into that state reminds you that you can handle a lot. So for me, it's even more mental because it reminds me that, you know, I'm fully capable of going through something painful and coming out okay on the other side. In addition to that, for me, it helps a lot with my skin. Um, the coldness and the, the that type of pressure really helps with keeps close my pores it kind of helps just clear out my skin even more than taking like a hot shower per se and just um overall my circulation I feel like it even probably contributes and I don't know for a fact but I believe it even contributes to the blood flow when it comes to the blood flow even around my muscles so kind of helping when it comes to muscle soreness as well so which of these things we've discussed are part of the cling heart protocol to treat Lyme if any and if none of these things are part of the Clean Heart Protocol, what things did you do as part of that protocol to help your recovery? So he, these are all things that he suggests, um, ozone therapy one being one of them, and the Rife Machines, he has worked with all those. But his specific protocol came to all the different titchers, which were uh, together, they combined it to make a really... I mean, it, it was just an overall detox for me. And it really not in the bad way. Typically, when you go through a detox the first couple of days, your body is kind of going through almost like a, a painful, almost like a natural Herxmer reaction, like what's going on, you know? And But I, I think that uh, Klingart had a great method, and I initially started it, and that was probably for the first six to eight months. But I started going back to work when I finally moved back to Miami, and it was difficult to follow up with. But I, I took the advice from my dad and I I decided that, you know, it's better than doing nothing. Sometimes I'll get in this mode where I was like, well, if I didn't, you know, make one tea today, then I'm not going to continue to do it. No, like it's better to still keep trying to work at it. It is a lot to stay on top of all these different regimens, all these different, you know, I call it a toolbox. You know, how many different things in your toolbox are you working on today? And you may not get to all of them, but I think it's constant, you know, uh, your reminder that, you know, you just got to keep at it. And I think uh, Klinghardt had a lot of different, or at least my doctor through Klinghardt had recommended a lot of different tinctures. I mean, there was probably about 24 different ones. And I made a tea three times a day and you'd have to make it right there in a moment. You couldn't prepare it. So it was a lot of uh, planning. I mean, you can't, I had to, I remember at one point I traveled to South Carolina for a trip and I had to bring all these, uh, all my stuff with me. And of course it broke under, under, uh, TSA broke all my luggage, so that was not fun. But uh, it's definitely something I, I I think when I come back to Miami, because I didn't bring all that stuff with me, I'm going to start back onto. I wish I had it here because it's the perfect time for me just to focus on really healing because I'm not working. I can, I'm capable of having a moment of a flare-up or something like that in case I have a side effect because I don't have anything to tend to. 
Um, but Klinghardt stuff is great, and uh, he definitely recommends all the other stuff with uh, with ozone and with the right frequencies. I think those are the most powerful ones. Milan, I just want to put a reminder out there for our listeners that a year ago, you were basically homebound and bedbound. But here you are today, a year later. I mean, you look great. You sound great. Your mind is, is very clear. I mean, you're explaining things to us just so well. So how do you feel today? And I think we know the answer to that based on what we just said. But walk us through about where you are today with your health and what you see for the future of your health. Um, I, like you said in the beginning about uh, my influence on social media and things like that, that there's always been this image I've had to portray of being healthy and well and active. And I live in Miami and I really uprooted myself from Maryland to Miami and set a goal for myself. I followed the law of attraction. I was like, I'm going to work in events down there. I'm going to finish my bachelor's degree. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have an active lifestyle. I even manifested rollerblading in South Beach, you know, like really trying to just have this dream and I'm able to follow through with that but I don't want people to get lost in that image because really there there is a lot of pain behind certain pictures and even even just certain times in my life but I I want to be an example for people that you know you can get better I mean at one point you look at I and that's why I want to open up I mean I I really kind of broke down the beginning of this month because I, I was like, wow, I really have come so far, but nobody knows. I mean, nobody knows my journey and I'm in the process of opening up. And I think that's so important for people to share their story. I have a friend who has eczema and she had this whole journey that she went through and she told me it was so therapeutic for just to share her story. And I feel like I'm finally comfortable because I am finally well and I can look back and say, hey, you know what? That wasn't such a great point in my life. But I did this, 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 and I, I was able to heal myself. And I'm hoping that, you know, with your guys' podcast and me sharing and being more vulnerable as someone you would typically think, oh, your life's so great. You know, everyone goes through something. And it's really not about what happens to you, but what, how you deal with it. So now we get to the point where we want to have you share with us what has been beautiful about this experience and what do you believe the results of this Lyme disease journey have been that have made you the person you are now? I think that the, the most beautiful thing about this is like, and this is going to make me cry, is that like this kind of um, saved my relationship with my dad. Um, you know, I'm his first daughter. I'm one of five kids. I think he was really lost growing up. Like, what what did I do wrong? Like, how did how is my daughter suffering so much? And I think that, you know, it kind of allowed him to forgive himself, which I'm so happy to do that for him, but also to bring me closer to him in, in our in our journey of healing. My dad, before he even did any therapy thing with me, any type of ozone or rice machine or anything, he always did it himself because he didn't want to give me anything that him as his own healthy body couldn't handle. And um, I'm just grateful because... I had a, a really toxic person in my life about this time two years ago, and that's what led up to this time a year ago that I was so sick. And it made me really grateful for the people who care for me in my life. And um, it really made me realize, you know, who is are the people who really love you, you know? I mean, you could go through day to day and think, and it's not to just to reflect on people who aren't your friends or aren't really there for you, but to really reflect on those people that you are always in your corner and that will always have your back, and it's not afraid to reach out to them. I mean, it took me so long of being this independent person to finally reach out to my family and say, you know, I'm not okay. 
And um, I'm so grateful for that because I have a, the strongest relationship with my family ever. I could ask them with, for anything that I need it. And maybe not everyone will have that relationship, but there's someone out there for somebody. And like, even to anyone who's listening now, there, you know, there is a person that you can call on when you're not feeling well. And I don't want anyone to have to go through the pain just to realize that you've always had someone in your corner. And I've also realized I'm so grateful for the amount of knowledge that I know now, whether it be about ticks or just overall strengthening your immune system, that I can just share with my friends who even are healthy, like, hey, let's do this. Let's, I, want to, I want to know that people in my circle, or even outside my circle, any, I have, any person I have influenced is um, finding a way of healing through what I've taught them. And that was so powerful to me because I'm grateful to have gone through this because it showed me really how strong I am. And I thought I was strong before, but man, when, when you're a line where you really go through something like this, you realize that you're so much more capable than you believe. And, and Melanie, we, we really want to thank you for using your social media platform as a vehicle for conveying so much of the beauty of your journey. And we encourage you to continue to do that and let folks know that although you are portraying a very healthy and beautiful uh, appearance during many of the shots that you uh, you put up on your social media, that there is also this painful side of this journey that you're still undergoing and that your life is not as perfect as it would, pe would appear to be when you're, uh, when you're in so many of these, you know, beautiful places and so many beautiful scenes in, in Miami during the course of your career. So now I want to ask you for one more bit of help. If God forbid tomorrow your dad called you up and said, hey, Mel, I have a tick biting me on my leg. What would you recommend that he would do so that he wouldn't have to go through the terrible journey that you've had to go through? Um, it's, it's sad because I even wish I knew more information about this now, uh, about what to do. But I would obviously have him to remove it with tweezers or what you can do and wrap it up in a, a plastic baggie and have it sent in immediately to be looked at. Um, I don't think that time is really the essence of this. So the sooner you can find out and really even to demand to know uh, is this actually you know affected with Lyme um, because I think a lot of people they, you know they kind of have wish-washy answers and it's really about you getting to the bottom of it right then and there and uh, doing what you can in that even in that time to strengthen your immune system I mean all the things with those on therapy right but that those things you can be doing in that moment to really make sure that your immune system is strong enough to even fight anything if that tick has bit you. Thank you for listening to the Tick Food Camp interview with guest Melanie Hubert. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Melanie Hubert and her tick disease journey, please visit her at bombshellxmel. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Food Camp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a tick by blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided to us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or information you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes or on our website. Thank you for listening.